Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So we're going to pick up in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. This was impressed upon me very recently to share and we see not long before the Passover, not long before Jesus is going to be tried and crucified, there is an interaction that takes place. We see in this passage in Mark chapter 14, we can see also references in Matthew 26, John chapter 12, um, and also we could possibly refer to Luke 7.36 to help interpret this passage, but Jesus goes to have dinner at a leper's house and the leper's man that the leper's name is Simon I'm going to pick up from verse 3 it says while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper he was reclining at table and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head there were some who said to themselves indignantly why was the ointment wasted like that For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial and Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is quite an interesting passage that when I read a couple of thousand years later, I read with a sense of judgment on these people that were scolding Mary for being very lavish. Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha, relative of Lazarus. But I find myself actually being quite critical as well at times. I find in myself when I read the Bible, I I, I like to kind of just be an observer. I'm like, I wonder what that would have been like if I was just there in the room. What would that interaction have been like? When Jesus comes into a leper's house, I mean a leper, Simon the leper, he was not just uh, at physical inabilities, physical, he may have lost part of his body, his skin would have not just irritated him, it actually, it was something that chewed up the flesh. He was also a a social outcast. He was ceremonially unclean. And where did Jesus find himself? At that guy's house. (laughs) See, when love comes to town, protocols go out the door. And this is the type of God that we serve. Jesus Christ himself wasn't just ministering in the temple. He wasn't just ministering to the kings. He wasn't just ministering to the leaders. He was ministering to the lepers. He was eating with them. 
And that same Jesus lives within us and calls and compels for us to associate with these very types of people. I'm one of these people. You are one of those people. We are misfits in a sense. We are outcasts in a sense. We are impoverished in many senses. But Jesus is so close to us. In fact, he wants to dine with us. And we see this scene take place where Jesus is reclining at table at Simon the leper's house. And this is what it says. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment. An alabaster flask. Something like this. Something like that. We don't really know, but that's what an alabaster flask would look like. What is alabaster? Alabaster is a, is a precious stone. I think I've got a picture there if we can show the picture of what alabaster stone would look like isn't it beautiful um, some have speculated that the the flask itself the box itself was more expensive but i don't think that was the case what was inside was more valuable in fact my bible says pure not it was pure i love how god intentionally puts words into the bible it, it was pure it was a value and this woman had this alabaster flask full of fragrance, full of oil, and it was broken. It was broken over Jesus. Pretty expensive. It could be argued that it was an heirloom, something that was handed down perhaps from mother to daughter. It wasn't something cheap. It was worth 300 denarii, 300 working days. That's what it was worth. Imagine working for 300 days, having your wealth stored in a box, and then losing it at an instant. And that's where the conversation arises, we read, because it, 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 was, it was a real significant point of contention, not just with Mary, but also with these other observers that were there. And so this woman, Mary, breaks the flask. She pours it over his head. Why does she do that? What inspired her to do that? What was it that she saw that caused her to act so stupidly? Have you ever been moved in your heart so much that you've done something that seems so ridiculous, nonsensical, out of the ordinary? This woman had an experience. In fact, if we go to John chapter 12, we see... Uh, uh, that follows John chapter what? Oh, you guys have switched on today. You brought your brains with you. John chap What happens in John chapter 11 with Lazarus and Mary and Martha? What happens there? Raised from the dead, right? Mary was full of gratitude. That's John chapter. And then John chapter 12, this happens. Something happens in Mary. She, she sees, experiences something of God himself in Jesus. And she can't help but be moved, motivated with an action that caused other people some problems. I went to a wedding yesterday. Liam and Madison in our Malaga congregation, they got married yesterday. And I, I always love seeing how love leads people. And I saw beautiful words exchanged. In fact, I saw Liam on his guitar. He'd composed a song that he had played for her. It's amazing. Always let love lead you. 
particularly in your relationship with God. Let love lead you. In fact, sometimes when you let love lead you, 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 you might spend more and more time questioning the wisdom of that. Am I the only one? But sometimes it's nonsense that makes the best sense. When it comes to God and love moving your heart, what might ordinarily seem nonsensical actually makes the best sense. God takes what's foolish in this world, doesn't he? To confound the wise. I love listening to uh, Alan and Marjorie McFadgett. Have you ever heard them say anything negative about one another? How long have you been married love, in love with each other for? 600 and how many? 61 years. 61 years! What a great example to us. I sit down with them on a regular basis, have a cup of tea and coffee, and I love listening to them and their story. The way, they, the way that you talk to each other is such a great example to us. You're in love and you let love lead you in your relationship. Thank you for your model to us. Thank you for who you are and the way that you love each other. It's clear that you have a heart for God and that love to and from God flows in your marriage. Thank you so very much. Here we see love leading them in the way they interact with each other. This is the same thing in our relationship with God. We've got to let love lead us. The same thing with this woman. Love led her. It was crazy. It was stupid. But Jesus enjoyed it. Though others didn't. She sacrificed incredibly. I don't know. We don't know whether she had any wealth left. But you know, what we most sacrifice for reveals what we most live for. Or who we most live for. So the question this morning perhaps is, where do you sacrifice? To whom do you sacrifice? My girls, I sometimes think they sadistically enjoy rubbing me up the wrong way, my daughters. Especially on Sunday mornings. Oh my giddy aunt. I tell you what. I lose sleep. I lose money. I lose energy. I think, why am I doing this? It's not a loss. It's an investment. It's an investment. Every opportunity we have to see a sacrifice as an investment. See, they're my girls. I die for them. I'll sacrifice incredibly. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And there's something that I, I understood reading from a book, but only when I became a parent, I fully understood. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can see a little bit more clearly how God loves us. I sacrifice. It always comes down to Christ. We talk about the cross. That's how we know God's love for us because he sacrificed himself for us. Love led him. What? Sensical. Nonsense. Actually made the best sense. So she breaks this box. She breaks it. She breaks the flask. It's, it's, it's destroyed. That's when the fragrance comes. In fact, in John's gospel, it said that the fragrance filled the room. Can I have that fragrance, please, Gary? Uh, you're not going to see this on the screen, but I'm not going to tell you whose fragrance this is because you might judge the person. But it's a female fragrance. I'm just going to spray it in the air, right? You want some, do you, ladies? 
You haven't even smelt it yet. Receive, sister. Let me anoint your head, my child. There. And we're going to stop her there. Now, what I'd like to know, I sprayed on a couple of people, mostly willing. Who around those people can smell it now? <laughs> Sucked in. <laughs> you can blame these guys. The fragrance filled the room. Should we get the air going now or we're going to be okay? The fragrance filled the room after the breaking. The breaking is critical. What is it that needs to break in you? And when it breaks, here, this is a better fragrance. And here's a better fragrance. You know what this is? Rosemary. Rosemary. I love rosemary. I love breaking it because that's when you best smell it. It's, it's only when you break it and you crush it. It smells the best. I, I really love rosemary when it's stuffed in a lamp. Oh, then it smells even better. <laughs> They're a good slab of meat. Shout out to all my vegan and vegetarian friends out there. It's in the breaking that the fragrance fills the room. What if the box, the alabaster box, the exterior, the outside, needs to happen so that the internal aroma, the fragrance of Christ, come? I didn't like to be broken. But what if it's part of God's plan to allow us to be broken? So that in the breaking, the blessing can come. And others can smell the aroma in the breaking. We like to be protected. We like the alabaster box to look good, to sit there on the pedestal. But God says, hang on, it needs to be poured out. And in the breaking, we can argue and we can get upset and we can complain and whinge and moan. But what if God would allow it to happen so that the aroma can be poured out and the fragrance can fill the room? That's the fragrance of Christ. Don't fight the breaking, brothers and sisters. Maybe you've come this morning and that's you. There is a beauty in the breaking. We see something happen there that follows the breaking, the pouring over his head of the oil. It says, verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, my version says indignantly. Strong word. Why was the ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. They scolded her. They scolded. I wonder, again, as an observer, just sitting in listening, I wonder what would have gone through her head. Remember, she's breaking the protocol. She's a woman wasting away her wealth. See, she's, she's coming against religious spirits now. You shouldn't be doing this. How dare you? You've wasted it. But all she's done is she's just been moved in her heart to do something seemingly ridiculous. She's coming in such opposition. Have you ever done something totally outrageous, like give your life to Jesus, 
and you've come up with opposition, take a notes, write this down. Fade the crowd. Fade the crowd. There are always going to be critics. They criticized her sharply. And you are always going to come against a critical spirit, particularly the bigger the stand, the bolder the move, the stronger the opposition. So deal with it. We've got to deal with it. We, we just got to, we, we, we got to accept it. I know that we're living in a cotton wool generation and we like to be in our safe spaces and our safe zones. And I need you to make me feel safe. And I feel safe. I feel, I feel safe in certain days and other days I feel unsafe. No, it's on me to feel safe. I feel safe because I'm in him. So no matter where I go, I'm okay. You're always going to have critics. Always. This is what Steve Jobs says. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your inner voice. That's okay. Don't take a photo of that one. Take a photo of the next one. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out my inner voice, says God Almighty. I can't trust my voice so often. My, my heart without him will let me astray. I need his voice. What's his voice to you? Have you tapped in to hear his voice? How do we know what he sounds like? Well, I'll tell you what his voice sounds like. It sounds a lot like what he wrote. It sounds like a lot what's in here. So what helps me interpret his voice is what I read here. This provides such a beautiful framework by which I can filter through what's of God, what's of me, and what's of someone or something else. I need this book. I hear a voice, even my own inner voice, that's outside of the framework of Scripture. I need to discard it. What's his voice saying to you? This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? I love that verse. I've quoted it before. Galatians 1.10 um, the Apostle Paul uh, so strongly starts off chapter 1 and then verse 10 of that same chapter says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So be very careful about which voice you listen to. I find it fascinating that Mary didn't speak up. She knew there'd be opposition. She was doing something totally ridiculous, totally lavish. And here we are, concerned about what we post on Facebook because we don't want people to unfriend us. We don't want to go to Facebook jail. We don't want to be banned from Insta spam or whatever it is. I hate the crowd. There are critics everywhere. Opposition happens. We've got to accept it. Jesus said, hey, listen, they hated me. Know that. They hate you. Hey, they hated me first. It's going to happen. The stronger the stand, the greater the opposition. And that's okay.
So this conjecture comes, why was the ointment wasted? And who do we think led that charge, by the way? Who were the people that were there? Was it believers or unbelievers? It was believers. The opposition was coming from followers of Jesus. I'm not looking at anyone. But isn't it often that it's the believers that can give the greatest criticism? The critical spirit can actually be in the family of God. Let's see what it says. John 12. In John's account, it says, verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So it was Judas. Naughty, naughty, Judas. Verse 6, He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. We see a battle over the beliefs right now. Judas was in it for himself. While she was focusing on worship, he was focusing on the wallet. And what's interesting here is that um, this woman clearly knew something about Jesus. I, I wonder if it had to do with the fact that, I mean, he, he had just, this was just days before the Passover. He had uh, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He had come in as king. I wonder if she had a revelation of Jesus as king to be anointed. It was said to be custom that when you come into a guest's house, you can have a dab of oil put on you, but she thought, hang on a second, he's not just any guest, he is the king. I wonder if she had such a revelation, not just of the fact that Lazarus came back to life, but that we had a king in our home that she couldn't help that by revelation poured out of herself to him. The other disciples, perhaps they didn't fully understand. They were thinking about something different. Don't let someone else judge you, criticize you, or condemn you to the point where it distracts you or distorts your efforts to honor and worship God. Who cares what others think? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Some of the loudest critics for me when I was studying in engineering is from Christians, family members, who would say to me, why are you not using your degree why are you studying in Bible college? You're wasting it. You can always come back and serve God in your 30s or 40s. Go and establish yourself and go establish your career. Buy yourself a house, build a platform, and then come back. And I would get it again and again and again. Every Christmas, every Easter, I'd have the same conversations from both sides of the family. Well-meaning Christians, well-meaning, by the way, that they're trying to offer good counsel. It got to the point where I had to say, look, has God spoken to you about my life? Well, not specific. No. Okay. Well, with respect, let me just live. 
And we all have to get to a point where we work out ourselves with God. What is his voice saying to us? And how will I give of myself to him? What he asks of me may not be what he asks of you, but we're called to give what he calls us to give. So let's just give. Let's read in Jesus' response now. This is so beautiful. It says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's done what she could. Side note there. That's all God wants. He wants us to do what we can. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Guard your heart. Guard your heart, brothers and sisters. Guard your heart. She had to guard her heart as she's faced with the opposition. As she's faced with it, she had to guard her heart. And what did she do? She let God speak for her. She let God defend her. She didn't say anything. And what happened when she zipped it up? The Lord defended her. Maybe that's a word for someone this morning. You don't need to defend yourself. Let God do it. He's a much better defender than we are. Particularly when we're doing the right thing. We're going about our business. We're worshipping. We're serving. We're giving. Let God do it. I'm a personal defender. I'm a justifier. I like to... Uh, yeah, but... If you come at it. Yeah, but you... And I'll deflect the walls up a number of years ago though when I was having some accusations at first my response was indignation anger mixed with frustration I said I just want to do something I just want to say something and I felt like the Lord say to me Are you going to vindicate yourself or will you let me do it? And I was taking to, taken to Psalm 27, verse 6 to 8. He will vindicate you in broad daylight and publicly defend your just cause. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait confidently for him. And that's what this woman did. She let God vindicate it. Are you here this morning and you need to let God vindicate you, to defend you, to be your shield, to be your advocate? Yeah, that's, that's what he does. He's our advocate. He gives us his spirit, a paraclete who comes alongside, who advocates. He's the defender. He's the advocate. He's the vindicator. It's all in him. So let him do it. Guard your heart, though, in the process. Because it's in that place and your heart is feeling upset. You're feeling conflicted. You're feeling distracted. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling depressed. You're feeling depleted. It's in that moment where you've just got to find, hang on a second. No, my security, my safety, it's in him. And let him do what he does best. Just guard your heart in the process. Guard your heart. Because God lifts up those who are bowed down. If in your heart you've bowed down, he'll lift you up. He'll do it. 
Psalm 145.14, the Lord upholds all who are failing and raises up all who are bowed down. But here now we go on to see Judas now. I feel kind of bad for this guy. I won't lie to you. I feel a little bit, I, I, I feel bad. While Jesus makes a promise to this woman, not to just defend her, but to lift her up, he goes, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. That's quite a promise. We're still talking about it thousands of years later. But then it goes on to Judas. Verse 10, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Here's what it says in Matthew. Let me see if I find it here. Verse 14 of chapter 26. One of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So let's juxtapose these two people here. Mary had a revelation of Jesus. She poured out a year's worth of wages, perhaps. What is that? 30, 40, 50, 60,000. Put it in your terms. She wastes it. She invests it. She sacrifices lovingly. Didn't make sense to the other observers, but she knew what she was doing. The Lord paid attention to that. Judas gets upset because his nose is taken out of joint and his heart is then exposed. And there's questions about, there's questions we have. Hey, why did Judas do this at that point? He was walking and talking with Jesus for three, three and a half years, healing signs and wonders. He was with Jesus. He would go to bed, Jesus probably preaching, waking up, listening to Jesus. But there was something about his heart that was not right. Perhaps there was the appearance of an alabaster box on the outside or a flask that looked good on the outside, but inside perhaps he never really knew who Jesus was. Maybe he never really believed in his heart. Maybe he was only in it for himself. And yet God allowed this to take place to fulfill his sovereign purposes. While Mary's heart was Christ-centered, Judas, he was conflicted. I know of Jesus, but I know he's to be true, but I just love money too much. One was devoted to Jesus and the other was devoted to the dollar. And so he couldn't get, he got his nose out of joint, he couldn't get anything out of the flask that he could have pilfered from the, from the money bag. But he goes and tries to get it another way. And what is it? 30 pieces of silver, was it really worth it? His heart is, is full of darkness. He then goes, what happens to him? So full of shame, he, what? He hangs himself, filled with shame. We see the parallel of two hearts. One filled with devotion and the one filled with darkness. The danger is, I wonder if there's a bit of Judas in all of us. Because I found myself 
choosing stuff over him. I found myself rebuking others instead of encouraging it. I found myself distracted and deceived instead of devoted. As the musicians come, why don't we stand up to our feet, please? thing about Judas that makes me feel a little bit worse is that he was in bondage, really. He was in bondage. He was, he was a slave to stuff. My question as we just wait on the Lord together is, are we a slave to anything? Are we a servant to, to anything that is pulling us away from God? Are we Is there any part of darkness in our hearts, perhaps? I'm not talking about the neighbor next to you. I'm talking to you. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, test and see that you are in the faith. Who's he talking to? Believers or unbelievers? He's talking to the church, right? And he's speaking so directly. You test and you see that your heart is right. You do it. Perhaps you've come this morning and you feel like you are being broken. You're being squeezed. My girls love when I make orange juice for them. I'm going to cut up the oranges, which is a pain when they do it just before we leave in the morning for school. And I cut it all up and I'm going to squeeze it. I'm going to blend it however they want it. But you know, it's only when the squeezing happens that the juice flows. And I don't like to waste the juice. I want to keep it in that cup. The aroma fills the room. I love the smell of citrus. I wonder if in our squeezing, God doesn't want us to waste anything. That in your moment of desperation, your moment of trial, your moment of crisis, he says, there is nothing wasted in the kingdom. Give it to me. Use it as worship. Your tears give it to me. Your hardship, give it to me. Your heartache, I want that. Your isolation, your desperation, your sense of rejection and abandonment, give it to me as worship. Let me have it. Direct that pain, direct that ministry and see it perhaps as ministry to me. In following Christ, it's a false gospel that says that we will in following Christ, we will dance along the hillsides full of heavenly-scented daffodils and marigolds. That's not what Christianity is like. It's not. It's peace and joy in the midst of the storm. It's salvation forevermore. It's His presence, active, real presence, in and with me always, no matter what. And in the process, as we walk through the valley, He's with us. We just got to direct it and give it to him as an offering. Perhaps our lives are like drink offering that he can say, thank you. I loved you. I'm for you. I receive it. They'll talk. They'll mock. They'll judge. They'll criticize. Forget them. Fight them. I've got you. Can we pray together? If you come to one of you, raise your hands as an act of surrender.
First of all, Father, we want to thank you for your goodness to us. We, we can't help but consider this is all possible because the one that was broken for us is Jesus. He was broken for us. He was put on a cross for us. And when he was broken, there was an aroma of praise and worship and honor that went to you. And so it's in that brokenness that we can bring our brokenness. We bring our frailty, our fragility, our vulnerability, our inadequacy, our insufficiency. It is, it is placed in and through the person of Jesus. So right now in this room and those that are streaming from home, we bring to you our struggles, our strains, our stripes. We bring them to you. And we offer them to you as an aroma. Father, if there's darkness in our hearts, there's corruption, perversion, distraction, we ask that you would lead us again to the cross, that we would give that to you and thank you graciously receiving and gratefully taking on your forgiveness. Thank you, Father. Let's just wait a minute. As we wait on Holy Spirit to speak to us. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.